Hey everyone, it's Michael Litchens with CatholicExchange.com. Thank you for joining us today. Today's guest is Anthony DiStefano. He is a best-selling author of multiple books, ranging from children's books to adult books. For the second time this week, I wanted to talk to someone who wrote children's books because I find the whole thing very fascinating. And it is such a different approach to what I normally take for articles and things like that, and I really only get to talk to children's book authors around Christmas. So he's our second one. But he's written so many other books. You might know him for A Travel Guide to Heaven, Ten Prayers God Always Says Yes To. He's also written last year The Grumpy Old Ox and Our Lady's Wardrobe. This year we're going to be talking about Joseph's Donkey and The Beggar and the Bluebird, both of which are very imaginative, lovely. The Beggar and the Bluebird is more of a modern fairy tale, very reminiscent of Chesterton, which we talk about today. Either way, I think you're going to enjoy this interview. I apologize that Anthony's voice is going to be coming from a phone audio. It's the best we could do with my ever love of technology and how it loves to fail me. Thank you all for your patience. We're doing our Christmas fundraising. I'll talk more about that at the end, but that's one of the things we could use is better mics and better recording equipment. I thank you all, though, so much for joining us. Check our show notes and go to Anthony destefano.com if you want to learn more about today's author. Anthony, let me start out by asking you, you've written Joseph's Donkey, Beggar and the Bluebird, last year we had the Grumpy Ox in Our Lady's Wardrobe. Uh, why don't you tell us, what first attracted you to want to write books for children? Well, you know, I tell you what, it's uh, I've always loved to read, and when I was a little kid, I loved to read children's books. Uh, sure. So remember my my first book, my best friends are dinosaurs, you know, and I, I still remember the I still remember the rhyme. Oh, that's a great one. So, so so the thing is, it was natural for me when I first started to want to write, which was when I was very young, uh, before I even was ten or eleven, that I would think in terms of writing children's books. Now later on, later on, uh, when I got a little bit older. Uh, I saw sometime in my in my mid to late 30s that we were involved in some kind of a culture war. I recognized it politically. I grew up during the you know the Reagan era, and I knew sure. very clearly that there, that our um, Christian Catholic uh, morals were under attack. I didn't know. I didn't understand it as much as I do today, but I knew then, and I and I realized even at that time that you know it would be very important to uh write for children uh to 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 communicate with children because sure sh- you know the other side was definitely going to start going against them that's the easiest way uh, to win a war you know you 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 go after the ones who are young and that's exactly what's happened you know in the ensuing years you know the 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 other side the forces of secularism etc you know have concentrated on uh, the entertainment industry, et cetera, and, 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 and they try very hard to jump over the heads of parents with their, um, you know, anti-life, anti-Christian moral, uh, propaganda. And so, I, as I got older, I realized even more, uh, the importance of writing good, uh, children's books that would, uh, somehow captivate the moral imagination of children, and, and even from a very early age, before they were even able to read the Bible, you know, sort of, you know, you know, capture their their capture their souls to, to some yeah. extent. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Which uh, leads into the subject of a couple of your kids' books. You have a uh, Joseph's Donkey and the Beggar and the Bluebird coming out in time for the Christmas season this year. Uh, let's start with Joseph's Donkey. Can you tell us 
what sure. I kind of guess what the book's about from the title, but can you give us a summary? Sure. Well, it's a Joseph's donkey is about a donkey. It's a fictional donkey, mm-hmm. of course, but a donkey that's mm-hmm. purchased by Saint Joseph. You know, shortly before his marriage to Our Lady, and yeah. you know, the donkey helps Joseph in his carpentry business. He's hauling wood and stones, but but he also plays uh, a pretty key role in all the major events recorded in the infancy narratives of the Gospels. You know, he carries Mary to Bethlehem, where she gives birth, birth to the Son of God. He takes the Holy Family to Egypt to flee, to flee from the evil King Herod. Uh, you know, he accompanies the 12-year-old Jesus to Jerusalem, where Jesus is lost in the temple and then found. So it sort of tells the whole uh, story contained in the infancy narratives, uh, but tells it through the eyes of this fictional donkey character. That's a lovely point of view to take. What made you want to write from the point of view of a fictional donkey? Well, you know, a couple. It's a good question, uh, and, and I'm actually got, I actually get this question a lot about. Well, why do you use animals? Why don't you just tell sure. the, the story? And that's a big question. But let me handle the, the <laughs> question about Joseph first. And and yeah. one of the one of the things about Joseph, as as all Bible reading. Christians know is that uh, while he's one of the most important and famous saints in the history of of, of the world, uh, he, there's not one single word of his recorded in Scripture. I mean, there's nothing. We we see Joseph receiving dreams. We see him protecting Mary. We see him, you know, taking the Holy Family and rescuing them and doing and going here and there. But we don't hear him say one single word. So if I was going to write a story about St. Joseph from the point of view of St. Joseph, I'd have mm-hmm. to probably put a whole bunch of, of words into the mouth of Joseph that he never spoke or that we don't know that he spoke. And I don't sure. like tampering with the Gospels that way. Whereas with a fictional donkey, I could make him say anything I like as long as it's in line with the truth of the Gospels. So it's a good way to sort of tell the story of St. Joseph without having to put words uh, you know into the into in, into the mouth of Saint Joseph which would be presumptuous of of me the second reason is you know you know ki- kids uh fall and this is the reason why you you use animals in the first place and not people is that children are a little intimidated by adults as they should be uh, adults are figures mm-hmm. of authority mm-hmm. uh, but whereas whereas children find animals adorable you know they're 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 they they are immediately uh, affectionate to animals. They fall in love with animals, and so when when you have a story of Joseph's donkey, the child will immediately like the donkey and feel sorry for the donkey and empathize with the donkey. You know because the donkey is like like a child is little too. He's not an adult. He's not big. So it's a good way to capture the child right away and to to teach him some lessons without it being so didactic. And, uh, and intimidating. A great answer. When I was uh, flipping through just the illustrations and the story, it kind of reminded me of Chesterton's Everlasting Man when he was talking about the, you know, the Lord of the Universe born as a baby, surrounded by animals in a barn, basically. Yeah, and in the, one of the, my favorite, and that's one of my favorite passages, and, and that is just about my favorite book in the whole world. It might be me the too. Oh, ever, yeah. ever in. But he says something, you know, this, the, 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 the the, the tiny hand that reaches up to the animal is the same hand steering the stars and the planets in their orbit. You know, it's, it's amazing the way Chesterton always does that with those beautiful, he makes you see the world upside down and get a new vision of things. But yes, I always, I always have Chesterton uh, in mind and close at hand. 
I thought so. That's awesome. And uh, much like Chesterton, you know the value of a good illustrator. And this one you use, Juliana Kolsova, I believe is her name? Kolosova. Yes, she's she's a Russian-born illustrator. And Mm -hmm. I used her before, twice, actually. Yeah. um, With uh, the books, uh, Our Lady's Wardrobe and Our Lady's Picture Book. Now, those books Mm -hmm. came out last year and the year before. They were very big bestsellers, and they were about Our Lady. And so I wanted this book to be sort of a companion book to those books because this book is about, you know, the spouse of Our Lady, St. Joseph, and I thought he should receive the same kind of wonderful treatment and that the book mm-hmm. should have a similar look, you know. But also, more than that, the reason why I used Juliana Kolosova for those first two books on Our Lady is that she specializes in these photorealistic types of artwork. And I thought, from a theological point of view, that was very important to convey, mm-hmm. that, that Our Lady is not some cartoonish character, and neither is St. Joseph. They're not fictional characters. They're real. They're alive. You know, and, they, and, and uh, they, 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 they're not make-believe. And so if you use someone who knows how to do photorealistic types of illustrations and a child feels they can actually reach out and touch the person, I think that helps with the getting the message across to them that this is not some, you know, cartoon they watch on, you know, Saturday mornings or or the games they play. Absolutely. And uh, the the photorealism in her art is really fascinating because when Our Lady's Wardrobe came out, I thought that's an interesting filter on that photo and was surprised that was not a photo at first. What is it about the nativity story that you think keeps us coming back to want? I mean, she's not the first artist. You're not the first writer to want to talk about and depict the nativity. What makes us come back to that? Oh, my goodness. Well, it's the beginning, of course, of the greatest story ever told. Well, the Annunciation yeah. is actually the beginning of that, as all good yes. pro-life Catholics know. Uh, God, for, when he took human form, he did so first, not as a baby, but as, as an embryo, you know, as a zygote, uh, in, in an unborn baby inside the womb of his mother. This is a very, uh, of course, strong pro-life argument here, that God himself became an unborn child. But the point is the idea that God being born in a humble stable, there's so many, not only is it a beautiful story, but there are so many lessons about humility contained in that story. Uh, I've, mm-hmm. I've already re- written four Christmas books because I can't stay away from that subject. And I think <laughs> yeah. everyone, even people out there who are secular, who don't even understand the theology, somehow there's just a, uh, and I use the word magic in a figurative sense, but there's just a, a magical uh, a sense of the whole story that even they get, even though they don't understand it. Uh, and so, yes, so you, that, that, will, that will never uh, get grow old. The problem is that so many Christmas stories don't touch on the the true Chris story of Christmas. Right, yeah. So, uh, so that's another reason why I write these books. I want to continually put mm-hmm. in front of these young readers that, hey, this is the meaning of Christmas. Um, you know, not not just Santa Claus and candy canes and, and things like that. Fun as, though, fun as those things are. Oh, yeah. No, I'm a man who loves his eggnog. I get it. But Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so what do you hope children will get out of jo- the story of Joseph's donkey? You know, I want them to, first of all, have a nice Christmas story that shows them the true meaning of Christmas. The more of yes. those kinds of stories, the better. The second thing is I want to introduce them to some famous Bible stories. You know, the whole infancy mm-hmm. narrative and, and uh, you know, you introduce these children to these stories early. And then later on... When they do read the Bible, or they do learn about it in catechism, they will have already seen, they've they've already had an experience with these stories in their early childhood, and I think that helps them to 
enter into scripture uh, more easily if you teach them very early. But the, the main thing, the main thing that I'm trying to accomplish with this book is to introduce them to the character of Saint Joseph. I, I want them to fall in love with the character of the donkey, but the character of the donkey, Michael, is a mirror image, a personification <laughs> of Saint Joseph. He's humble. Yes. He's quiet. He's hardworking. He protects the Holy Family, just like Saint Joseph. So, so in coming to know and love the donkey, I'm hoping that these children will come to know and be introduced to this this magnificent mysterious character of of saint joseph which is always a great goal i have a devotion to saint joseph and when i was reading flipping through this little story i've noticed the parallels between joseph and the donkey because joseph you know we have one of his names is the worker and we have that image of him as the man who works. He doesn't really need any big shows of gratitude. He doesn't really need to say anything. But he does what God calls him to do, which is all any of us are called to do. That's right. And he, he protects the family, uh, which mm-hmm. is what St. Joseph does. And, and, and also, he's also the patron of a happy death, St. Joseph. Yes. Uh, which is important. He, why is he the patron of happy death? Because he died surrounded by Jesus, our Lord, and, and, and Mary, our Lady. What kind of, there's nothing, no death more joyful than that. So we pray to him for a happy death. And I, and even though the book is bittersweet and a little bit sad, it ends on a happy note, uh, mm-hmm. a heavenly note. But I wanted to get in that point, too, because the donkey, at the end of his life, is surrounded by Joseph and, and Mary and, 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 and Jesus as well. So I, I tried to get, the, I tried to get the, 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 the most important themes of St. Joseph's life into the life of the donkey. And uh, you have another wonderful holiday book coming out, The Beggar and the Bluebird, which takes a, tells a little different story. Can you tell us the, what that book's about? Sure, the beggar and the bluebird is is kind of like uh, a modern day type of uh, fairy tale, um, mm-hmm. hand, hand in the tradition of Hans Christian Andersen. It tells the tale of a little bird whose flight southward for the winter uh, keeps getting delayed because of the, the strange uh, requests of this local street beggar. The beggar asks the bird to you know fly on various errands of mercy for him. Um, delivering bread to a homeless person, uh, delivering money to a widow with some children, delivering a gold cross to a sick boy in the hospital. And as a result of these acts of kindness, the bluebird gets caught in a winter snowstorm. And, and everything seems lost, all seems lost until an ast- astonishing, uh, surprise ending, which I think I could give away on this show because mostly adults are living. Surprise ending reveals that the street beggar is really, uh, is not a beggar at all, but is really an angel of God. Which is very, uh, it's compared to a fairy tale in a lot of ways, and also calls back to St. Paul's idea that entertain strangers, for sometimes we entertain angels unknowingly. That's one of the reasons why I wrote this. I didn't just want to write a, uh, a Christian fairy tale and sure. talk about that. But, but yes, that passage from the letter to the Hebrews, you know, do not forget to show hospitality to the strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospita- hospitality to angels without knowing it. In one translation, so that's when I read that a long time ago. It's always intrigued and fascinated me, and sent chills mm-hmm. up my spine. So I thought I got to, I got to get this into a children's book uh, or any book at some point. Certainly. Uh, what made you want to tell this uh, angelic fairy tale? You know, I think you know, going back to our friend G.K. Chesterton, yeah. who wrote often about fairy tales. He loved mm-hmm. fairy tales. Uh, the Goblin and the, the Princess and the Goblin was was one of the 
one of the most important books that he ever read by George MacDonald. It really changed his whole life from when he was a young boy. Fairy tales have the ability to impact children in a very important way. Some people object to fairy tales because they think, oh, um, you know, there are dragons in fairy tales and, and they're scary and you're going to scare the children. But as <laughs> Chesterton said, you know, the point of fairy tales is not to show children that bad things like dragons exist in the world, but it's to show them that by being virtuous, you can overcome and slay the dragons of life, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the point of of most fairy tales, that by virtue, by, by being virtuous, you can overcome great adversity. Now, in, in fairy tales, they use these fanciful creatures like, you know, um, uh, dragons or fairies, let's say. But in this kind of story, which is not really a true fairy tale, I, I want it to be a Christian story and a true kind of a story. So I used a bluebird and I used an angel. That's my my uh, incredible character in this book. There are no dragons or you know magical pretend characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, for this one, you used a different illustrator, Richard Cowdery. Uh, what made you use him? You know, it goes back to the the idea that you 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 use an illustrator, or I use an illustrator based on the content of the book. What is it that mm-hmm. I'm trying to convey in the book on Joseph and Mary? I'm trying to convey the point that these people are real. Okay, but in but but in this book, we're talking about a blue a fictional bluebird and a fictional beggar. There's no need for there to be any photorealism. What I wanted to do instead was find a person who can really make uh, animals beautiful, capture the the, the mm-hmm. character of a little bluebird. I mean, bluebirds are small; they're hard to capture, make a child fall in love with a bluebird. But this guy, Richard Cowdery, he's a New York Times best-selling artist, and he he's done the Marley and Me series, the Fiona, the Hit. I mean, big, big, uh, yeah, huge bestsellers. He's worked with me on a few books as well, like the Donkey that No One Could Ride. And uh, the sheep that no one could find. And he's just the best in the world at, at putting human expressions on the faces of these animals. And because uh, after all, these books aren't really about animals. They're really about human beings. We just use animals to sort of stand in for humans. And I think he's able to get children to fall in love with these characters. And in falling mm-hmm. in love with them, they enter into the story more. Agreed. And you also, like, even though it's for kids, there's a... L- it looked, it at least felt to me like there was a lot of symbolic things going on, especially with the gifts given to people in need, like bread, coins, a cross. Uh, did you mean to put symbolic meaning to this? Yes, I, you know, for two reasons. First of all, I, I, um, I, I, I wanted to, I wanted this to be, in a way, a very kind of basic, uh, in the most general way, introduction to the concept of the corporal works of mercy and the spiritual mm. works of mercy. Uh, you know, the corporal works of mercy have to do with the material and physical needs that people have, and the spiritual works of mercy have to do with helping people with their spiritual needs. And I, I thought that it would be nice for this little bird to be able to help <clears throat> uh, doing some of those kinds of things, to introduce children to that concept. But, but, but more than that even, as I said before, one of my purposes here is introducing children to concepts and, and, and symbols that they're going to see later on in the Bible when they start reading the Bible when they get a little bit older. And I want those concepts and symbols to be a little bit familiar to them by the time they get to that point so that they could more easily enter into Scripture. So we have here, you know, yes, the, the bread uh, being dropped into the homeless person's lap. And that is reminiscent of the, you know, the, the manna in the desert, the, the bread from heaven. 
and of course we have uh, him giving money to a uh, widow and, and, and orphan children, and that is something that we see in the Gospels too, uh, uh, very much us being urged to be charitable to widows and orphans. And of course the final uh, little symbol there, the, the cross, which is the central uh, symbol uh, of Christianity, because it has to do with Jesus Christ and redemption and, and salvation. So I wanted to put those in, you know, to 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 expose children, to introduce children to those from a very early age. Which is a great idea, especially I think uh, around Christmas time. One of the things we've all criticized about Christmas in this country is it can get materialistic, and the idea of giving has to be reinforced sometimes with children and adults. That's absolutely right, and that actually it does lead to you know that one of the main reasons I wrote this book is because people, um, for a very practical reason, is. I think parents do have problems um, teaching children to to share, and children do have a problem with selfishness, and 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 they don't truly understand uh, the meaning of, of gift giving. And so this book tries to get more at the heart of what gift giving is about, and what mm. and really what the true meaning of love and sacrifice is, which is what Jesus, which is what Jesus taught us. And uh, we touched on it at the ending of the book, of course, you bring an angel into the story. What is something you want kids to think about when they're introduced to this angel at the end? Well, you know, angels are real, and they're not make-believe, and, 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 and they're fascinating. They're these pure, spiritual, powerful beings, and every single human being has his own angel given to him by God, appointed by God to help us in various ways throughout our whole life. You're never, ever alone, never truly alone, because you always have your angel right there. And I and I think this is a very good thing for children to learn as early as possible, because they, they know that, then they'll know them they're never alone. They always have some mm-hmm. sort of advocate, someone uh, from heaven, uh, helping them in some way, guide them in some way. So I wanted to uh, introduce them to this, this concept um, because angels really, truly exist. They're not make-believe. And I thought that if, if in this book we introduced an angel in this particular way and showed how he helped this little bluebird, um, I thought it might be something that they would remember when they get older and, and need that kind of help. Certainly. So uh, between these two books, uh, Joseph's Donkey and The Bigger and the Bluebird, is there a particular age limit you had in mind for these kids? You know, I say it a little bit facetiously, but I, I, I... I write these books, Mike, every bit as much for adults as I write them for children. They're for <laughs> children, but I'm keenly aware that parents are going to be reading these books to their children. Grandparents are going to be reading these books, older brothers and aunts and uncles. Mm-hmm. So, so, so why miss out on the chance to to catechize them? Why, why miss on the cha- out on the chance to give them some consolation and inspiration and entertainment? So while these books, I think, are good for very, very young children... I also think that even if you're a teenager or even if you're 67 years old and you're reading this book, I think that there's um, there's enough there for you, too, to at least be reminded of truths that you may have forgotten. So I think there's a very I, – I write these for a very wide, uh, wide age range. Absolutely. I mean, I could see that. Uh, what, what future do, or do you have in mind for your next children's books? Well um, – I I, I I am writing a book just on angels. In fact, it's already Ooh. written, and it's being illustrated. It's called How the Angels Got Their Wings. Oh. And it tells the story of the angels. 
uh, all the archangels, guardian angels, the story of the first angels. It, it has the whole story of the angels in one book. And uh, it won't be coming out, I think, till the spring of 2022. Um, and that's the next one right there. I have plenty of other ideas. Sure. Uh, but that's the that's the next one. After these two, that is. Yeah. So if people want to pick up uh, Joseph's Donkey or The Bigger and the Bluebird or really any of your wonderful little books uh, and learn more about your work? Sure. They can go well, – for, for the recent uh, children's books have been published by Sophia Institute Press. They can go right to mm-hmm. the Sophia website. Um, they can go to EWTN. They can go to Amazon. They, um, uh, my, they can go to, – to learn more about me, they can go to my website – uh, if you don't mind this long Italian name, www.anthonydestefano.com, they can see all my books. Uh, you can't purchase books on that site, but I could, it leads you to where you can get them. Uh, mm-hmm. so those, I, they're, and they're pretty much out, all out there in, in stores too. I've been very blessed to be, yeah. uh, have had, have had success not only in the Catholic and the, also in the Protestant market, I've been very successful, and and even in the mainstream uh, market, I've been I've been very lucky and fortunate over the last uh, twenty years. Absolutely. And on that note, just as our final question, uh, how do you see these books being used in evangelization? You know, I, first of all, I I hope that per, first firstly they're used as Christmas books. I want mm-hmm. in the case of Joseph Donkey, I I want children to see the. The the, the 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 true story of Christmas, not just the Santa Claus is out there. What is the true meaning of, of, of Christmas, which is the birth of our Lord? That is such an incredible, amazing, magnificent mm-hmm. story, full of so much deep meaning that 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 will that will be enough to evangelize evangelize plenty of the adults in their life. Uh, and as far as the beggar and the bluebird. The beggar and the bluebird, the, the bluebird is really a symbol of Jesus Christ in this book. He sacrifices himself. He gives every bit of himself so that, for others. And that's the meaning of, of love, uh, to giving, giving away yourself in love. That's the meaning of sacrifice. That's what Jesus Christ did. He sacrificed himself, his life, so that we could have eternal life. And that's a very important message for, for children uh, to receive at Christmas time. Uh, when when we want to teach them about the true meaning of gift giving and selflessness. Amen to that. And yeah, these books, like you said, are going to be available at almost every bookstore. I definitely saw one of these in Barnes and Noble last Christmas. So look for that at your local bookstores, folks, and we'll put links in. But Anthony, thank you so much for entertaining all my various weird questions and also telling us a little bit about your work. Well, thank you for having me, Michael. I really appreciate it. It's a great honor, and I hope you invite me back for the next book. Absolutely. Hey, everyone. It's Michael with some end notes. Have to thank Anthony once again. He is always just such a delight to talk to. Many thanks, as always, to Sophia Institute Press and all of you who sponsor us. We get a lot of small donations. Many people pledge about $10 a month. You can also do one-time donations. It's part of running a Catholic organization. There's costs that we do have to pay off here and there. And of course, things are always changing and we're trying to keep up. If you have enjoyed this podcast, if you would like to see more of them as I would, if you'd like us to see more videos and things like that that we can do, I appreciate any donations you can give. Some people give only $5 one time. Some people donate $10 a month. It's all appreciated. It all adds up and it really lets us keep this little small operation going to reach millions of people throughout the world. 
My name is Michael Litchens, editor at CatholicExchange.com. I want to thank you all for joining us. If you do feel called to donate, if you think that's something you can do and you have a few dollars, awesome. There's a donation links in the bottom of our show notes. As long as you're there, anthonydestefano.com, I should say. And then you can also head over to sophieinstitute.com to find those books. Thank you all very much. God love you. Have a wonderful week.